to the gospel according to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, I'll begin reading at verse 28 and read to the end of 36. You'll find that on page 1102 in your pew Bibles. Luke 9, beginning at verse 28. Listen, this is the Word of God. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Thus far the reading of God's Word. I'm sure some of you have had the experience of being in the midst of a project and things just aren't going that well. You meet with all kinds of obstacles. You perhaps are somewhat confused as to what the next step should be, and you're about to give up. And then someone shows you a, a picture of how it will be when everything's completed how it will look if you were just to press on and keep on going in the project. And that view of the future, and that view of the finished project, can always, uh, does always give you some sort of boost and encouragement. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be in your difficulties as parents, or it could be in a project at work. Just knowing how it's going to turn out and that it's going to turn out well can really spur you on to keep going, to press on and not to give in to the discouragement that you are experiencing. Well, I think that's a helpful way for us to understand what is going on here in Luke chapter 9. Luke connects the Mount of Transfiguration with what Jesus had just said. You can see that in verse 26 where he says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James. And what sayings are those? Well, they're the sayings of the Lord Jesus regarding his upcoming trial and hardships. Just above in verses 21 and 22, Jesus had told his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day rise again or be raised. And so it's after those things, after Jesus had just reminded his disciples, and in so doing reminded himself of the upcoming trial of the cross, that he experiences the Mount of Transfiguration. And what God the Father is doing there is giving the Lord Jesus, his dear Son, a glimpse of glory so that he might press on in the great work of redemption. But it's not just that Jesus spoke about his own suffering. He also said that the disciples, anyone who would follow him, would suffer as well. That to be a Christian meant that they would follow the Lord Jesus, both in self-denial and in cross-bearing. And so that would have been perhaps somewhat discouraging for the disciples. They thought that they were following a victor, a champion, and here Jesus is telling them that life is going to be hard and challenging as they follow the Lord Jesus. And in the midst of their concerns, God the Father ministers to them and gives them a glimpse of glory and reminds them that what they have heard from the lips of the Lord Jesus is the truth, of course, but it's not the whole truth. And he shows them what the future will be so that they might press on, not give up in the Christian life. And so that's how I want to look at this passage this morning, seeing how it ministered to the Lord Jesus himself and how it ministered to his disciples, including how it ministers to us. Remember how the Lord had said at the end of the last section that there were some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And here in this transfiguration mount, we are getting a glimpse of the glory of the kingdom of God as that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. So first of all, how did it minister to the Lord Jesus? Now you might think that the Lord Jesus needed no ministering to, that he was, after all, the Son of God who knew the end from the beginning and how everything will turn out. But we fail to understand sometimes that the Lord Jesus was truly human, that he embraced weakness, and along with the weakness, he would sometimes be overwhelmed by the difficulties and situations of his life, and that he would need encouragement from his heavenly Father in the carrying out of his ministry. And that's exactly what the Father gives him in three different ways. First of all, there's the event itself. As Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. This was God the Father's reassurance to his Son of his own divine sonship. You might know that the Lord Jesus was the eternal Son of God before he became man in the incarnation. But when he became man, he did not cease to be God, but his Godhead was veiled. It was hidden 
We'll be singing in the next month or so the, the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And, and one of the lines is, Veiled in flesh his Godhead see. So that our Lord Jesus, when he came to earth, he, he did what Luther said. He came incognito. He hid his glory so that he who neither slumbers nor sleeps embraced humanity's weariness so that we find him sleeping on the boat in the midst of the sea. He hungered and he thirsted. He embraced ignorance so that he had to say to his disciples at one point that he did not know when the Son of Man was going to return. So Jesus embraced humanity and wasn't treated as he really was, the Lord of glory. He wasn't acknowledged as the Son of God. People mistreated him. They ridiculed and scorned him. They spoke evil about him, and they sought to kill him. And so it would have worn on him. Remember how even Satan himself said, if you are the Son of God. Well, there might have been those doubts and concerns in the human mind of our Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father was showing him there, you know, you are the Son of God. You are the, the God of gods that though you have embraced humanity, you have not given up your deity. And he envelops the Lord Jesus with the brilliance of heaven to remind him that he is the God-man. But he also does something else. Jesus, because of his humanity and because of the trials and difficulties of the cross, would become marred and disfigured. His body would be lacerated with the cruelty of the Romans. It would be covered with blood. And all because, not only of the physical agony of the cross, but also because of the soul, the spiritual trial that our Lord was going to go through as, as, he, as he went to the cross as the, the suffering servant bearing the wrath of God. And so he would be marred beyond recognition, Isaiah says. And the Lord Jesus is given this reassurance that after the hardship of the cross and the marring of the crucifixion, he would be restored. His humanity would become brilliant again, restored to its pristine glory. That's what the Father is telling him that it will be difficult and challenging. It is difficult and challenging. But remember who you are as the Son of God, and remember who you will be as the God-man restored in glory. So the event itself ministered and bolstered our Lord Jesus throughout His earthly ministry. And then we read, that, behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. And so it was through these two men as well that the Father encouraged the Son. Here are the, the two great Old Testament prophets. Moses, the one who brought his people out of Egypt in the Exodus. And then Elijah, the one who restored the prophetic office and, and brought the people back to the worship of God. And both of these men, in their persons and in their work, were there to point the way forward, to give us a shadow 
of who Jesus Christ, the great prophet, would be when once he came to earth. And here these two towering figures of the old covenant appear with our Lord Jesus. And notice that they speak of his departure. If you go to the footnote at the bottom of the page, you can see that the Greek says that they spoke about Jesus' exodus. That is, they spoke about his upcoming death, which he was to about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And what would it have been like to be there and to hear the conversation of these two heaven dwellers who come in glory and to meet with the Lord Jesus, who is resplendent in his own glory? What would Moses have said? Would Moses have encouraged the Lord Jesus and, and said, you know, as I was going through the Exodus, I often despaired because the people were were so unhelpful and so critical of me. But the Lord was with me, and even as He was with me, He will be with you. Or did He encourage the Lord Jesus by saying, press on. You know, the, the exodus that I brought about, that the Lord used me to bring about, was an exodus of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. But but your exodus is so much greater because it's the exodus of people from the tyranny of Satan into the liberty of the people of God. Press on, my dear Lord Jesus. And what would Elijah have said? Would he have reminded the Lord Jesus that whenever he would pray, the the Lord would answer him just as the Lord answered uh, Elijah at Mount Carmel when uh, he had this contest with the prophets of Baal? Did they speak of their thankfulness for what the Lord Jesus was about to do in his death on the cross? Lord Jesus, press on, because what you are going to do is so cherished by the saints and will be for all eternity. Did they remind the Lord Jesus that the angels in heaven, that they're standing on their tiptoes, that they're, they're looking forward to see what the next installment of this great plan of redemption would be. Here on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord sends these two Old Testament greats, Moses and Elijah, who encouraged the Lord Jesus as they spoke about what he was about to do in Jerusalem for the salvation of sinners, and for the glory of his name. The Father encourages the Son with these two men. And then the best is kept for last, because we read there in verse 34, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud, and then a voice came out of the cloud. It is God Himself who encourages the Lord Jesus with His voice. That's the significance of the cloud, because the cloud represents the presence of God. So here's Israel gathered around Mount Sinai, and the cloud descends. The the tabernacle has just been finished in Exodus 40, and then the Lord descends in a cloud and fills the tabernacle Or the temple has been finished by Solomon, and the Lord descends, and He fills uh, the the temple. This is the Shekinah glory 
God himself comes down. He encourages Jesus through the transfiguration. He encourages Jesus through the prophets. And then he encourages Jesus with his very own presence and says to him what he said at his baptism, you are my son. What an encouragement that would have been. Satan tried to create doubt in the mind of the Lord Jesus. But the Father dispels doubt. This is my Son. This is my Son, my chosen one. I have chosen Him from before the foundation of the world to be the sin-bearing, suffering servant. And it is a servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. So, so that certainly the Lord Jesus, as he hears the words at the Mount of Transfiguration, would have remembered the prophecy from Isaiah 42, where God speaks about the coming Lord Jesus and says, Behold my servant. Will you take a look at him? I uphold him. I sustain him. He's my chosen one. I love him. In him is all my delight. And so the Lord was encouraging his son and saying, yes, it will be tough. You'll be ridiculed and scorned and rejected. You'll be put to death. But I am with you. It's no accident. This is what I've chosen you for. It was my desire to honor you from all eternity, and this is the way I'm going to honor you. So press on, my dear son. Keep going. Don't lose heart. The Father encourages the Son with His own presence and His own voice spurring Him on. God was ministering to His Son in the Mount of Transfiguration. But He's also ministering to the disciples. He's also encouraging them. Because we read that uh, Jesus took with Him Peter and John and James And while they were on the mountain, though they were heavy with sleep, they woke up in time and they saw Christ's glory. That would have been a wonderful encouragement because they they knew how the Lord Jesus had been treated, not only by others, but by themselves. That he was treated just as a man, just someone ordinary, perhaps not completely ordinary. He did have special gifts, but, but they, they would have lost sight of who he really was, that he wasn't just man. He was man, fully man, but he wasn't just man. He was the God-man. And here, with the brilliance of heaven surrounding the Lord Jesus, his disciples would have been reminded of who this Jesus really was and of his ability to accomplish all that he had promised he would. It was a reassurance of his divinity. But here as well, the disciples are given a picture of the future. The Lord Jesus had just told them that to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, meant suffering. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. It will be the loss of your life. That's what I'm calling you to. Not to live for yourself, not to gain your life, but to lose your life. And that must have been quite a, quite a blow for his disciples. They must have thought, we, 
we've picked the wrong rabbi to follow. Perhaps we need to follow someone else, someone who's going to promise us, not hardship, but promise us glory and blessing and a life of ease and prosperity. Well, that wasn't the Lord Jesus' promise. But here in the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples are reminded that though there is suffering and hardship, it's not all suffering and hardship. There is a cross to carry, absolutely, but there will be a crown. That though they might be despised and rejected, they will share in the glory of the Son of God. Now, of course, uh, Jesus had uh, alluded to that when he told them that he was going to be rejected and be killed. He did tell them on the third day he would be raised. And then later on, he tells them that uh, if they're ashamed of him and his words, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So, so they had been told that suffering would be followed by glory. But Jesus, or, or, or God, the Father, stoops to their weakness and says, I'm going to tell you this, not just so that your ear hears it. I'm going to show you this so that your eye sees it. So this is a visual reminder of glory that belongs to the people of God. It's no wonder then that Peter says, hey, this is, this is a great place. Master, it's, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. You, you get his, his heart. You know, this is marvelous. He, he sees a vision of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's been spending months with the Lord Jesus, and he's always been disdained and rejected. And, but now he's glorified. This is a great place to be. And... What is heaven except to, to gaze on the glory of Christ for all eternity? So you, you can see why, why Peter would say what Peter says. It's good for us to be here. But he doesn't get his wish because what Peter says is both selfish and foolish. It's selfish because it's just about him. Let us make three tents because it is good that we are here. Not just him, of course, but him and Jesus and Moses and, and Elijah and John and James. But, but Peter is thinking selfishly. It's, it's about us, about our happiness, about our joy. What, what about the rest of the twelve? What about the nations? What, what about Jesus going to the cross for sinners if they stay here, if they avoid the cross? Well, then there's no redemption for any sinners. But Peter wasn't thinking about them. He was thinking about himself. And, and if they stayed there, then who was going to preach the gospel to the nations so that people might be brought from bondage to liberty? Peter isn't thinking about that. He's just thinking about their own pleasure, his own pleasure. It's good for us to be here. It's selfish, and it's also foolish because he misunderstood what was happening here. This was not the end. 
This was a means to the end. This was not the final stop. This was just an encouragement along the way to help the Lord Jesus and his disciples go to the final stop. Sure, there's glory here, but there's more glory awaiting when the Lord Jesus Christ is lifted up as the Savior of sinners. Remember how he says in John 17, I have glorified you, now glorify me. The cross is more glory than you see here at the Mount of Transfiguration. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is more glory than you see here because it's the glory of the accomplishment of the work. It's the Father's vindication of His Son's work as He exalts His Son. And so Peter was thinking too small. He was thinking that this was maximum glory. And heaven tells him that it's not at all. There's more glory. You see, Peter's Peter's question or his suggestion is not even taken seriously. No one engages with it. You can see that he's, he's almost cut off. Verse 34, as Peter was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. So heaven answers Peter's suggestion. Peter, it's not worth listening to your suggestion, not even worth entertaining it, because there's something better awaiting. And so God comes down. As I mentioned earlier, he comes in the cloud, and the disciples are afraid as they enter the cloud because they're entering into the presence of the descending God. And then they hear a voice. And notice that this voice is, is not really spoken to Jesus, though he hears it, but it's spoken to the disciples in specific. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. It's very insightful here to note that uh, Peter uh, saw uh, Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And then we read in verse 33, as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, so he sees the Moses and Elijah retreating from the scene. And then in verse 36, we read that when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. That's, in, that's important. Yes, Moses and Elijah were significant in redemptive history. They were the foretellers, the foreshadowers of who Jesus would be. But now Jesus is here, and they can recede from the view. This is what God is saying to the disciples. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. He's my final word. He's my last speech. I'm not going to say anything more than what I've said in Jesus Christ. Listen to him. All the prophets, everything in the Scripture is focused on Christ. And so that's the one, the one you need to listen to. That's the one you need to hear. You have to have ears only for the words of our Lord Jesus. And they saw no one else but Jesus alone. And the Father is saying to the Son, 
or the Father is saying rather to the disciples, enough of your suggestions about what would be good. You need to listen to the Lord Jesus. Listen to what he has said about his own ministry that he's going to suffer and be rejected and be killed. Listen to what he said about Christian discipleship. Stop thinking that things are different, that you know better than Jesus does. Listen to him. And then he presses them to the Lord Jesus. They found no one but Jesus there because Jesus is the one they need. They need to follow wherever the Lord Jesus leads. They need to listen to whatever the Lord Jesus says. And they need to be sure that they have Jesus because in having him, they will have the blessings. Yes, they'll have the hardships that are connected with living in union with Christ, but they'll have the blessings as well. And if they avoid the suffering, then they'll, they'll, they'll miss out on the, the glory. If they will not take the cross, they will not receive the crown. And so God is pressing the Lord Jesus onto his disciples. This is the one you need. Take him, have him, and having him, you can be confident that everything will be okay. You know the glory you've seen? That glory will be yours as well. You are despised and rejected, just like the Lord Jesus was, but I will lift you up. I will glorify you even as I glorify my son. And all of the hardships that you experience now are nothing compared with the glory that will be revealed to you in the last day. You can lose your life now, but you will gain it in the world to come. It's just an encouragement to the disciples to press on, to have heavenly thoughts of their life and their expectations. It will be all right in the end. You have seen his glory and you have heard the voice pressing you onto the Lord Jesus. Well, it's a ministry to the disciples, a ministry to Jesus, a ministry to the disciples. And I imagine it's a ministry to you too this morning. I don't know all the situations of your lives, but, but I do know that life can be hard. You can become overwhelmed sometimes with the difficulties and challenges. You can become jaded because of the way people treat you or because it doesn't seem like you ever get ahead. You, you take one step forward and then there's two steps back. You can feel weary of this life and wish that the world would just stop so that you could get off. Even, even for just a little while, that there'd be some respite from the relentless pressure that you feel. That's the way this world is. Living under the curse of sin and living in union with Christ. Don't be surprised, Peter says, at the, the suffering that you're experiencing. And we all experience it in different ways. So that what's suffering for you is not a big deal for me, but what's hard for me is easy for you. But, but we all face suffering. And this morning... Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father says, I want you to remember this. After the cross, there will be the crown. And he gives us this glimpse of glory. 
He reminds us of the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, my dear child, press on. Cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have him as the center of your existence so that he alone is your hope and your confidence and your trust. And then keep on going. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. If you overcome, then I will give you a crown of life that will never fade away. So here, my dear brothers and sisters, here's the glimpse of glory seen first in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and then subsequently experienced by all those who know and trust in the Savior. May God minister to you his grace and goodness. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our Father in heaven, we do confess at times our weariness, our disappointment and discouragement, the hardships that envelop us, the difficulties that we experience. And we thank you for the vision that we have been given of glory that awaits the people of God. We thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ suffered and then entered into his glory, and that even now he is at the right hand, far above all principalities and powers and every name that can be given in this age or in the age to come. And we thank you that he has promised that where he is, we also shall be. So grant us the fortitude we need to hold fast to the Lord Jesus, to listen to him alone, not to be distracted by any one or anything else, but to see his glory and then ours as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.